0: Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we're going to be wrapping up Greater Than, the series Greater Than, week 4. I heard a stat a long time ago, and I'm sure it still holds true today. Uh, But the stat was this, that 92% of Americans uh, consider or claim to be independent. I mean, we have the Declaration of Independence, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. 92% of us, it's a goal that we have to be independent. Uh, You know, uh, know, financially independent is a goal. Professionally independent is a goal. Even relationally independent is a goal at times. And uh, our culture is all about independence. It's like a high value that we have. And and we're in this selfie culture. How many of you guys took a selfie this week? Just be honest. Just own it. Come on. No, you guys, you're in church, so you might as well own it. All right. So selfie. All right. We're in a selfie culture. And, and even in a selfie culture, there are still some things that are really awkward to do alone, okay? Like patting yourself on the back, you know. You could do that, but it's kind of awkward, right? It's a little bit prideful. Pat yourself on the back. How about have you have you ever tried to shake hands with yourself? That's that's a little awkward. You can't really do that uh, by yourself. Have you ever, ever tried to play tag by yourself? That's that's not a uh, yeah. It's hard to do. Hide and seek. Anybody hide and seek by yourself? You'll win every single time. It's it's amazing. Uh, what about a trust fall? Have you ever tried to do one of those by yourself? Uh, there's some things that are just awkward if you try to do them by yourself. How about falling in love? Some people fall in love with themselves. That's a little awkward. Um, So I want to talk today about, um, you know, there was a Gallup poll done a long time ago that uh, concluded that Americans, even though we're surrounded by all this stuff, we're surrounded by all these opportunities, all these people, we are among some of the loneliest people on the planet, on the planet. And so what I, I was just reflecting on Mother's Day this week and kind of leading up to that, and I was, just, I was just kind of meditating and thinking about this idea, how God wove this idea into the fabric even of creation, even of humanity, this, this thing that, that no one comes into the world by themselves. In fact, God set it up so that life would only be possible through another person. Think about that. God wove this into the fabric of who we are as people. God designed life so that it'd be incomplete if we did not share it with other people. In other words, we are better together than we are independent. Amen? And So today, I just want to talk about two is greater than one. Two is greater than one. We find this in the scriptures in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. Solomon's musing about all of life and all the vain things in life, and he's tried everything, and he's observed everything. And here's one of his observations. He said, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who's all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. How many of you guys have ever had a time in your life where you stumbled or you fell? And and if you found yourself alone, you were in big trouble. But if you had a friend or if you had a spouse or you had a pastor or you had a mentor who could help pick you up, you were way better off. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You have those moments in your life because two are better than one. Verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? This isn't just talking about marriage. This is talking about the cold seasons of life that we go through. Has anybody ever been through a cold season in life where it just seemed like things were cold and then you have somebody come beside you with an encouraging word, an encouraging moment or a right now word to warm things up and to get you through the cold seasons? Uh, Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. You get this picture of back-to-back how we are protected on all sides... Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So when I, I stand and I do weddings, and you might have heard this at weddings before, but when I, I stand there with a, a husband and a wife and, and we say two are better than one, but that a three-stranded cord is not easily broken so we can have a husband and a wife and Jesus Christ. You know what? Whenever you put Jesus in the mix of togetherness, you're, you're pretty strong, aren't you? That's going to be something that's going to be hard to break. Two is better than one. Wh- why does Facebook even exist? I think about it. Why does Facebook even exist? Is it because we're narcissistic? Yes. But also, it's because we get this idea that we just want to share our life. With other people, it's a platform for us to share our life on. So this week, I've been I've been uh, working on my garden and my strawberries and all that type of stuff. And so I post some things out on Facebook. Why? Because it's fun to share life with other people. It's fun to share the experience with more people because God wove that into the fabric. When you, whenever you have a perfect meal, you're yeah. Is it narcissistic? Yeah, but it's fun to share life with other people. God designed us that way. God designed us for togetherness. God did not design us for independence. He designed us for togetherness. Let me show it. If if you go all the way back to creation, let me show you how God designed it from the very fabric of the earth, how he designed us for togetherness. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 1, all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." And so God says what? He says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Everybody say, it's good. Good. God saw it and he said, it's good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Now we go all the way to the end of this chapter in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. And God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. Everybody say, it's very very good. God said the same thing. And there was evening and there was morning. On the sixth day. So God goes through and he starts to create everything. He creates the the sun and the stars. He's like, hey, this is good. He creates uh, vegetables and plants. He says, this is good. He goes through and he creates animals and creepy things and birds. He says, this is good. He creates man. He says, this is good. In fact, seven times in just chapter one, God specifically looks at something he created and he said, it is good. Now, if we go over to the very next chapter, In Genesis chapter two, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say not good. good. God says it is not good. What did he say? It's not good. He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, we're not just talking about the marriage relationship. We're talking about how God said it is not good for man to be alone. So he goes through, it's good, 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 it's not good. Now here's what's interesting about all of this. This happened, this it's not good happened before sin entered. Something was not good before sin. And the one thing that was not good before sin was for man to be alone. For people to be apart. For someone to be in loneliness, God says that's not good. Even before there was sin, God said that was not good. Good, Why? Because this is woven into the fabric of who we are and how he created us. One will put a 1,000 to flight, two, 10,000 to flight. When Jesus was going to send out his disciples, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. Even the animals in the ark had to go two by two. Okay? It's woven into the fabric. God designed us for togetherness. And yet we miss it so many times because in our culture, we value independence. There was a study in the, I saw this article in the Harvard Business Review, and this this study just kind of popped up. And uh, basically, they they were doing a study on people who try to raise money for causes. And they said they were trying to find the most effective way to raise money for a cause. And so one of the conclusions they found is that if somebody sends out an email to 200 people, Because, because I mean, you guys know sometimes we just send out, and we blast an email to say, hey, my GoFundMe or whatever. So they sent out an email for 200 people. It would be just as effective. This was a conclusion of a study. It would be just as effective as sending out an email to 200 people as to simply going face to face with six people. They would have had just the same amount of Effectiveness. And what they concluded from this study was this, that people tend to overestimate the power of persuasiveness via text and underestimate the value of persuasiveness via face-to-face. In other words, the, uh, the face-to-face requests were 35, 34 more times uh, more effective than a text. But yet how many of us in our society uh, Man, I'll just be real with you. I hate talking on the phone. Okay, I hate talking on the phone. I'd rather send a text. How many of you guys are like me? You hate talking on the phone? Anybody? How many of you guys, you just, you talk on the phone all day long. Okay, you're the telemarketers. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I would rather just send a text or whatever. And, it's, and it, what's happening is we're becoming more and more disconnected relationally because we think we're just as effective, but we're not. God designed it for us to be in the same room together. Did you realize that? That's how God designed us to interact with one another. God designed us to to be able to reach out and put a hand on a shoulder or to give a hug. I'm not a hugger, but God designed it that way. And so I surrender to that sometimes. But God designed us for that to be in the, the same room at the same time. And so we have to learn how to get better together. We have to learn how to be better at being together. And Jesus modeled this for us in so many ways. But I just want to focus on three greater thans that I believe will help us get better in this area of relationship. I don't care if it's a relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kids, relationship with your parents, relationship with, with whoever, just coworkers. This will help us out. And the first greater than is this. Love is greater than fear. Love is greater than fear. In our relationships, love is greater than fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So in other words, when we walk in relationships with fear-based relationships, fear of what may be taken from us, fear of being taken advantage of, fear, whatever it is, fear Love and fear aren't in the same room, in the same way, in the same way. They can't exist together. Whenever you have fear, it begins to extinguish real love. But whenever you have love in action, it begins to extinguish fear, and fear goes away. And too many times we lack love in our relationships because we're afraid of what's happened from our past. Has anybody have a hurt from the past? You don't have to raise your hand, but we all have them. We have hurts from the past. And because we've had a hurt in the past somewhere down deep, We're afraid to take a chance again and to walk in that same type of relationship. And since fear is in the mix, real love can't be in the mix the way that God designed it. And we're afraid to step into the mess of togetherness. Let me just tell you, relationships are messy. Have you figured that out? Relationships are a mess. And just because God designed us for togetherness, it doesn't mean it's gonna be all clean cut and all perfect. Relationships are messy. And so many of us are afraid to step into the mess because of our past. You say, well, is there ever gonna be a time when when I can, you know, I I don't wanna step into a relationship because that's gonna be a mess. Well, well, too bad. That's gonna be every single relationship you ever enter in will be messy. There will never be a clean cut, perfect relationship you say, well, will, will there ever be a relate?" No, there will never be a relationship that there's not a mess in. And so many of us keep everybody at arm's length because of a mess in our past. Well, listen, you're gonna have, you're gonna have zero deep relationships. Everything's gonna be surface because every relationship you will ever have, if you genuinely enter into it, there will be a mess. There's no getting around it. And, and, and so you might as well decide to step into the mess And step into the fear, step into the pain, whatever it is, and start walking this thing out. How many of you guys have ever made a mess out of a relationship before? Anybody? Have you guys ever been on the receiving end of a mess on a relationship? They're painful, aren't they? Uh, I had some friends of mine who were friends of mine since I was like teenagers. And then because of one church decision I made, cut the relationship off forever. That's pain. That's, that's, that's operating on fear instead of just stepping into the mess and to walk it out and to work it out. So we've got to step into that. It's sad that we can go years and years in relationships and have all of these memories, all of these good things happen. And then because of a, a few failures, all of a sudden relationships end. That's not the way God designed it. He designed us for togetherness. I saw this uh, TED Talk this week uh, and... It was so fascinating to me. I just kind of get into this type of stuff. He talked about the difference, that there's a difference between our experiencing self and our remembering self. In other words, what you experience in the moment, like right now, you are experiencing in real time something right now. I hope it's not boredom, but you are experiencing something right now in real time. However, One week from now, you'll remember back on this day and you won't remember exactly the same thing that you're experiencing now. Your remembering self will ascribe a different emotion or a different feeling to this moment. Uh, Let let me try to help us understand that. One of the illustrations uh, he used was um, having a colonoscopy. This isn't what you signed up for today, is it? Um, To talk about this on Mother's Day. However... Uh, Let me just, I found the results of this fascinating. So evidently at one point, this was a painful process, not so much anymore. Um, But they did a bunch of studies. And they did a a whole bunch of studies on the way people would experience things in the moment versus the way they would remember them later on. And so they began to conduct a bunch of questions and all sorts of things. And so uh, we, we have this chart here of some of their studies. They got patient A and patient B. And so what we have here are pain call or pain experiencing pain those are those spikes okay if you're looking at these two charts patient a and patient b who do you think had the worst experience b right okay because we're seeing that okay so we see time played out and we see uh patient a so patient a the process was much shorter patient b process was much longer now in the results of their study Here it illustrates the difference between the experiencing self and the remembering self. The experiencing self of patient B was actually worse than patient A. We can all see that. But when they did the study and they asked all of these questions, it turned out that patient A rated their experience much worse than patient B, even though patient A had a much shorter time span. Why? Well, what they found was that patient A, if you look at the chart, the last moment For patient A was painful. And so the remembering self of patient A lodged the whole experience as much more painful than the last moments of patient B, who it tapered off. And so what does that have to do with us? Well, it illustrates that many times we log things in our minds based on moment. Our remembering self is different than what we're actually experiencing in the moment. So you can go on a vacation... And have a horrible time on a vacation in the moment. Like I was talking with Pastor Aaron. He was talking about how they went camping the other day. And I forget what they were talking about. Like having ticks and weeds and heat and all that type of stuff. And and so in the moment, it wasn't a pleasant experience. But we were talking about it. And I said, I guarantee your kids will look back on that memory. And they'll remember it as an awesome time, won't they? How many of you guys have moments like that in your life? We're in the, if you actually could somehow get back into that moment, it was not pleasant in the experiencing self. But later on, your remembering self changed the story and made it much more enjoyable. And, and that's exactly what happens. There's a difference between those things. And so here's what begins to happen. We begin to go on vacations, not so much for our experiencing self, but we make decisions on vacations based on what our remembering self We'll remember. And, and so what happens, so I'm getting ready to go on vacation this week, and so we're trying to decide where we're going. We're, we're crazy. We don't even make decisions on where we're going until like the last minute. Uh, but how many times have you been on vacation or even just in life, birthday parties, Christmases, whatever, and what do we do the whole time? We've got our phones, and we're taking pictures, and we're taking video. So here we are in this awesome place We could be in the mountains, majestic mountains. We could be on a beach. And what are we doing? We're experiencing that moment through a screen. Why? Because what's more important to us is our remembering self. And we want to make sure our remembering self has a a good memory of that moment, regardless of what our experiencing self ends up experiencing. And so he suggests this. He says, next time you go on vacation uh, and, or decide where va- what vacation you're going to do, just imagine what if all of your pictures would get destroyed from the vacation and if you were to take an am- amnesia drug and forget all about the vacation after it was done, would you make a different decision on how you'd, ex- how you'd spend that time? I thought, man, that is fascinating to me to think about the differences of those things. And, and so there's a big difference. Uh, several times, about 12 years ago, I had all of these things going on inside of me that the doctors were trying to figure out. And so they stuck a camera down my throat multiple times, which is a pleasant experience, right? Uh, at least it wasn't somewhere else, but it was, it was down my throat. And uh, so they give you this drug to put you out. And and this kind of this drug also has some sort of amnesia effect where you kind of forget what actually happens. And so I'd had this happen multiple times. And so the last time it happened, I decided I'm gonna see how long I can stay awake before they put the drugs in me. And so they put the IV in, they start the IV, I'm looking at a clock, and I'm sitting there, okay, I'm gonna try to stay awake this whole time, just see what happens. And so I'm trying, you know, 10, 9, 8, boom, I'm out, you know. And I woke up and I, and I remember them saying, yes, you are actually kind of awake for the process. But the amnesia drug, and this freaks me out, that the amnesia drug makes you forget everything that happened. And so I, I started to get freaked out. I started to think, you mean actually in my experiencing self, I was experiencing fear and terror and pain, actually aware of it in some form. And yet my remembering self wiped it all away because of the drug. That freaks me out. Now, what, what does that have to do with us? One more example. There's a, a story of a guy who listened to this beautiful symphony. He spent 20, 30 minutes listening to all this beautiful music. And at the very end of it, there was a bad note, a screeching sound on one of the, one of the violins or something like that. And he was telling his friend about this. And he said, that screeching note at the very end ruined the whole thing for me. Have you guys ever had an experience that something bad at the very end ruined the whole thing? Now, the question is, did it really ruin the whole thing? No. How many moments did he sit there enjoying what had happened before this one moment that seemingly his remembering self erased all of the good? Here's what it has to do with us. The tragedy is this is what happens in our relationships. We have all of these experiences in real time in relationships. Some of us have years of our experiencing self having all of these moments. And because of one or two bad notes, all of a sudden our remembering self cuts off the relationship and marks it as bad from there on out. And we say, that note ruined the whole thing. The question is did it? Or are there experiencing self moments there that we've lost? I believe there's a spiritual parallel, and God designed us. And, and so I, I just want to challenge us in our relationships to lead with love, not fear. Even bu- because what happens when we act in fear, we want to punish. And so when something goes wrong, we want to make somebody pay for what's happened. And our remembering self does a great job at it. Lead with love, even before truth. Lead with love. Jesus led with love even before truth. He brought truth, but he led with love. God designed us, here's what Ecclesiastes said as far as uh, fighting uh, together. God designed us to fight back-to-back, not face-to-face. Did you realize that? Because what happens when you are back-to-back, you got, you, you've, you're fighting for one another. In, in fact, if we looked at, at the uh, armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it's classic scripture. Uh, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand, with, withstand in the evil day. How many of you guys know we have a battle? We've won it, but sometimes you still fight it out. Jesus won the victory, but we're fighting from victory. But you, you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, as your shoes, uh, as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you are to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What's interesting is you have all this armor of protection to fight a battle, but there's nothing on the back. That's because we're not designed to retreat. We're actually designed to be able to fight back to back. And whenever I'm back up against another believer, we've got armor on all sides, don't we? God wove it into the fabric for us to fight back to back, not face to face. If you're afraid of someone, you won't leave your back exposed. You know, I talked to my, my brother Jake, whenever he goes and sits in any restaurant or anything like that, he's never going to have his back to the door, okay? Because they're just trained, like it's woven in. Jake, I'm sure you're the same way, right? You're just watching. And why? Why? Because you're ready, you know. But in our personal relationships, if if we trust somebody, we could put our back to them with confidence. And God designed us to be together. Uh, love is greater than fear. The second greater than is this: giving is greater than receiving. Jesus said it in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me ask you, do we believe that's true? I mean, let's look at our finances. Do we really believe that's true, that we're more blessed to give than to receive? Jesus said it's true. I believe, honestly, that it is true. It's more of a blessing to give than than to receive. Now, here's the question. Let's take it out of finance world right now. What about in our relationships? Is it really more blessed to be a giver than a taker in our relationships? Yes. It's more blessed to give. And and the problem is we get into relationships many times because we need something. We need a relationship. We need a friendship. We need a whatever. And all that's, you know, God designed us to support one another, to lift one another up. But is it more blessed to be a receiver in that relationship or a giver? The Bible says it's more blessed to be a giver. I have a friend of mine who grew up in a Christian home, believer all his life. Uh, And then one day, just things just started happening. and Pretty soon, just, you know, basically became an agnostic, borderline atheist. And I told him, I said, you know what? I remember telling him one day, I said, you know what? No matter what path you take, I will always be your friend. To the day I die, I will be your friend. Why? Because I'm in this relationship, not for what you can give me or because of who you I'm in this relationship to add value to this relationship. And I'm gonna to continue to do that no matter what you do, even if you turn your back on God, even if you turn your back on me, I'm gonna to continue to add value. Decide to add value in whatever relationship you are in. Decide to add value in your relationship with your spouse, even if they aren't giving you anything back, add value. Decide to add value in your friendships, even if they aren't giving you anything back, add value. Decide to add, add value in your church, even if, even if you're, you know, a lot of times we come into church and we're like, well, I'm, I'm not getting fed, I'm not getting fed. You know what? There's really two parts of being fed one it's the preparation, and two is the digestion, okay? So there's really a two-part. You know, I can prepare stuff, but you still have to digest it, right? And, and so a lot of times it's like, well, uh, I may not be getting fed right now. Well, add value. Add value because it's more blessed to be a giver anyway. You know, don't, don't just wait for, well, my gifts and callings and t- whatever, you know, take my talents to South Beach or what, you know, whatever it is. You know, it's like add value somewhere. Don't wait for all the stars to line up to everything find its a, a, a perfect place. Here's the deal. I've I've been a pastor long enough. I know this. I don't know everybody's names. Our church is too big now for me to know everybody's names because people are moving around and sitting in different seats. It's just hard to to do that. Um, But I know a lot of faces and I I know a lot of names. And, And I know this. There's many people who I'm the only one or our ministry teams are the only one who really knows your name because there's nothing else going on. And you, you're, you may be known at ministry level, lead, at, at that level, but not anything further. Listen, that's, that's not God's best for you. That's not God's design for you. God's heart is, is much deeper than that. You don't want to be just known at that level anyway. Uh, add value somewhere. Don't wait for the perfect circumstances. Add value in your marriage. Don't wait for the perfect circumstances. Don't wait for everything to line up. Add value in your friendships. Don't wait for everything just to line up just perfectly. Do something. Add value. Add value. And what happens is whenever we don't get what we want out of a relationship, we quickly start drifting towards being a martyr in the relationship. Well, they didn't give me what I needed. Now I'm I'm a martyr. Let's talk about martyrs for a second. You know, in the early church, the first century, the first few centuries, Christians were being martyred by the thousands, I like the story of this one. I don't like it, but it's, it's cool. Uh, he's dead, so. Uh, but his Polycarp is one of our early church fathers, and uh, he was a, a bishop, and he was a, a, an elderly, respected pastor. They drug him into an arena filled with crowds, and they told him, they said, we're going to throw you to the beasts. And Polycarp says, bring on the beasts. I like, oh, I like that guy. They said, well, all right, if you scorn the beast and we're going to burn you at the stake. And he said this, this is his line. He says, you try to frighten me with the fire that burns for an hour and you forget the fire of hell that never burns out. He burned at the stake, but he did it. Just he said, I will stand because they brought him in there. They said, you need to surrender to Caesar. And he says, I'm a Christian. I cannot do that. And he was willing to lay down his life. And become a martyr. In 64 AD there was these great fires in Rome. Six days it burned. The, the city of Rome burned. And the rumors were that Nero had set the fires. And in order to distract from the rumors from him, he blamed the Christians. And as a result of that, Christians be- started to get crucified. Christians were, some of them were, were, were sewn into the carcass of dead animals and large dogs released on them until they were torn to bits. Sorry, children. Um, it's not family Sunday, so I didn't prepare accordingly. So some of the ladies were dragged by wild uh, bulls. I mean, just all sorts of stuff happened. They were were martyred by the thousands, uh, burned at the stake, later centuries, thousands and thousands of martyrs. So much so, people in that day, Christians, believers in that day, were so willing to, to be a martyr, to share their faith. Listen to what one of the bishops said. He said this, so eager did many Christians prove to suffer for their faith that the bishop of Carthage demanded that those who needlessly rushed into martyrdom, should not be revered as martyred. Needlessly. I would have given it to him, okay? I mean, they volunteered for it. His point was, they, he didn't even think they were real martyrs because they rushed into being a martyr. On a much lighter scale, so many times we needlessly rush into being a martyr in our relationships. We needlessly rush into that and we don't, we're not real martyrs, but we needlessly rush into that because we're not getting what we want. And so I just challenge you on this point. Instead of rushing to martyrdom, let's rush to add value instead, even if we never get anything in return. Because love can be given without, any, without anything in reciprocation. Love is a free gift. You know that God gave love to us even when we couldn't give him anything. Add value in your relationship. The, the last greater than is this. Failure is greater than forfeit. And I'm not lifting up failure to say, hey, let's all go fail. That'd be great, you know? But so many of us are afraid to fail or because of failures in the past, we end up forfeiting things God wants to do in the future. And I'm saying it's worth the risk to fail on some relationships rather than the risk that it is to forfeit what God wants to do in our lives. I hate forfeiting. When I was a kid, we had baseball games. I remember one time, I mean, I was the star player on the team. I was the star. I'm not. I was not really. They were a small town. Uh, they needed people, and I was like the ninth one. So uh, I got on the team. Uh, but I remember one time we showed up at a game, And we only had eight players or whatever the number was that they would allow us. Basically, we had to forfeit the game just because we didn't have enough players. And I remember as a kid being so upset about that. And I thought, man, this is, you know, we probably would have lost, you know, we probably would have lost, but it just made me upset that they got to win something without even having the fight. They got to win without even having the fight you realize that there are areas of your life that the enemy is getting a win without even a fight because we've already forfeited it. Instead of taking the chance that we might fail, we just went ahead and gave it to him. When you forfeit something, the enemy gets something out of that. You lose something out of that. And we're so uh, you know, pressured for perfection in all of our life. And, and, and how many of you guys are neat freaks? Some of you guys are offended I just said that, but just own it, okay? We get that way in our relationships. As I said earlier, we want every relationship just to be clean cut. There's not going to be a relationship that's clean cut. And because of failures or because of the risk of failures, we stay out of relationships because we don't want the mess, because of this pressure for perfection in all of our life. What are we forfeiting by not stepping into relationships that are in front of us? Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th, president of the United States. I I read this quote, didn't get to read it in the first service, but it's just about this idea of just pushing through. Let me read this. It's fairly lengthy, but it's worth it. He said, you may have heard this before, but says, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at The best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. It's powerful. But I'm challenging this in the arena of our relationships. How many times do we forfeit relationships because we're simply unwilling to dare to fail? unwilling to take a second chance, unwilling to know victory or defeat. Listen, I'd rather fail, let's take it in other areas of life. I'd rather fail at praying for healing than forfeit the opportunity for God to heal. I'd rather fail at at stepping into God's power and plan for my life than forfeit the possibilities of what God wants to do. I'd rather fail, I'd rather try, try and fail than miss out on what God has for my life. That's why we step out. But it seems like we can do this in every other area. We can do this in business ventures. We can do this in all other areas of our life. We can do this in many areas, but in our relationships, whenever we have a remembering self moment that marks that and we say, that's done, we will not try again. And I wanna push us past that. Failure is greater then forfeit. You know, you've heard that statement before that better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. How many of you guys have heard that before? Some of you guys, I can almost hear you saying, yeah, right. No, it's not (laughs) because I've been there. I got the scars. Listen, the the scars, we all have scars. I got physical scars. You know what the scars do? The scars are stories. You know, I, I heard that not too long ago. The scars are stories. They I've got st- scars from, you know, uh, this one time I, I caught it on this, this metal rusty piece on a, an old van that we had. And man, it was painful in the moment. It took a whole chunk out. There was blood everywhere. Now in the moment, my experiencing self thought it was horrible. Now I'm like, that was awesome. There was blood everywhere. It was awesome. <laughs> but there's a story. And in our relationships and in our walk with God, the scars tell the story that say, you know what, I... I had some scars, but I had some stories, but God got me through it. This scar is proof that I'm on the other side. The scar is proof. And so we all have the scars. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. We'll talk about what the birthright is here in just a second. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The birthright, the firstborn son in ancient Israel was to inherit his father's estate and basically get a double portion of what anybody else would get, a lot lot of other things, but it represented a big deal. It was a lot. So why would Esau give up Something that's a big deal for something that was so little, a bowl of stew. Why would he give up something that was a lot for something so little? And the answer is in a single word called convenience. In the moment, it was convenient. How many times in our life do we give up and we forfeit things in the moment because it's convenient? In our relationships, it's more convenient for us not to step into the mess. And we forfeit what God wants to do. Be careful what you surrender for the sake of convenience. Don't surrender your calling for the sake of convenience. Don't forfeit your relationships for the sake of convenience. Don't forfeit your your voice in your kids' lives for the sake of convenience. Don't forfeit what God wants to do in your heart and in your life and in your spouse for the sake of convenience. Don't forfeit what God wants to do and to move in your life for the sake of convenience. What what, what do we have to do? Basically, we we need to reprioritize the things in our life. This isn't new information, but it's a good reminder. Because so many of us are spending our lives on things we shouldn't be spending. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, I would rather fail at something I love than succeed at something I don't enjoy. And it goes back to what Solomon was talking about. He says, here's a guy who's spending all of his time on the wrong things. You think about a ship. You know, if a ship gets in a storm, picture a ship in a storm. All of a sudden, it starts to get really, really bad. And pretty soon, they have to start lightening the load of the ship. They have to get some things off. What do they do? What's the first thing that they get off the ship? They don't throw the people off the ship first, do they? They find the most insignificant thing they can find, the thing that they won't need, And they throw that off first. And then if they need to throw something else off, they find something else and they throw it off. And if they need to find something else, they throw it off. And eventually their hope is, even if they have to get rid of all the food, they're hoping that they can still hang on with the most important things on that ship. And so I got a a really weird picture Uh, So you have to bear with me how I just saw this, but this is just how I saw this. I saw one of the, like a pole with like one of those huge grapevine things, like Joshua and Caleb would have carried back from, from the promised land, like just a huge deal. And I saw it posted in between trees, just kind of posted up there. And then I saw this picture of this raccoon. Now, why does this picture of the raccoon? Because I'm planting corn and last year, raccoons tore up all my corn. And so I'm mad at the raccoons. And so, I got this picture of this raccoon coming and reaching up and grabbing some of the grapes at the very bottom, the grapes he could reach. And then he stretched out a little bit further and he got some more, a little bit higher up. Stretched out a little bit further, but he couldn't reach the bulk of the grapes. And as I began to think about that, I said, that's a great picture of priorities. We need to rearrange our priorities. And again, this is not new, but this is the picture I saw to hopefully give you a better picture so that the most important things are at the top. So when the enemy comes and he tries to steal things, he can't reach the most important things. So I got my relationship with God up at the top. If you're married, I've got my relationship with my spouse, right? Then my kids, then my ministry, then my extended family, then my hobbies and whatever else. Why did I put my extended family after my ministry? Because there are times when God calls us to leave houses and homes, and we may not always get a perfect picture when it comes to following God. My service to God comes before that. So what happens when the enemy comes? Those things that I've arranged my life in such a way that if the, if the enemy comes and he nips off my hobbies, everything else is still intact that's important if he reaches a little bit higher in my life and and takes out some of my my key uh, interactions or my time with with some of the other people in my life that aren't as priority, I still have everything above that's most important. Even if my ministry gets taken out by the way God prioritizes things, I still have my my kids and my spouse and my relationship with God. Even if, now we, we don't want this to happen, but even if somehow my relationship with my spouse was cut off. Do you realize what I still have left? My relationship with God. When we arrange our life in such a way like that, that, then God can can do that. How do we do that? How do we do that? What what, what does it take to do that? Does it take the right emotions, the right feelings, the right whatever? Here's what it takes. It's a word called obedience. Faith and obedience go together. And one of the classic examples is, is a guy named Abraham. We can go ahead and have the worship team come back up. I'll wrap up with this. Abraham, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. You see, Abraham was an old man who didn't have any kids, and God gave him a promise, one day you're gonna have, you're gonna have kids, and in fact, through you, the whole world is gonna be blessed. That's a pretty big lofty promise. And so Abraham, all of a sudden, he gets his son. It's a miracle child. that gets Isaac. It says, When he was tested, he offered up Isaac and who he had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. You see, God told Abraham, he said, I want you to sacrifice the dream. Sacrifice the promise. Take him up that mountain and for whatever we can't, I'm not gonna get into all the theological implications of why or what or how, whatever. But the point was God asked him to sacrifice his son on the altar. And Abraham because he had the grapevine arranged properly, he knew no matter what was down the chain, God was up top and no matter what else got cut off, he'd be left with God if nothing else. And he was willing to forfeit or to, to, to fail at his dream so he wouldn't forfeit his obedience to God. Are we willing to, to fail? Because here, here's the thing. God is going to ask us to do things that may cut off some of the vines later down below. And if we're all out of priority and we've got the certain things we're protecting up top, even good things like our, our spouse or our kids above God, we won't be able to follow through. And God, so he's in the act of sacrificing the son. Of course, the end of the story is God stops him. He says, now I know you'll do anything. You see, Abraham was the spirit. He had the spirit of anything. He didn't have the spirit of God, I'll do something for you. So many of us have the spirit of God, I'll do something for you, but I won't do anything. I'll do something, and here's my list. Abraham had the spirit of anything. He says, God, I'll do anything, because God, if it was at the top, and if all God was left, that was all he needed. Everything down below is negotiable to God. So he laid his dream on the altar, Here's the thing I found about God. God is not a respecter of persons. You know what? God asks for the same thing from every person in this room. Doesn't matter if I'm on the stage here or whatever. God asks the same for every one of us. That's 100%. There's not a single person in this room. He says, ah, 56%. If you give me that, that's good. It's 100% for every single person in this room. And... Are we willing to sacrifice what we want for what he wants? Paul and Barnabas were walking on a missionary journey together. They had a disagreement and they split. They went ways. Do you realize that there are some relationships in our life that are only here for a certain season and then they're gone? How many you guys have ever experienced that before? Isn't it painful when those come and go, if, especially if you don't understand that they were for a season? But there are some relationships in our life that come into our life and we let walk out of our life, and they should never have walked out. But because we marked it by our remembering self forever, that's that ruined it. We let them walk right out the door. And they never should have. There's a book called Necessary Endings. I think we need to have another book called Unnecessary Endings. Because there's too many times in our walk with God or our walk with others that we have unnecessary endings instead of stepping into the mess. You're gonna have failures with your parents. You're gonna have failures with your kids. You're gonna have failures in your relationships with your friends, with your spouse. Don't forfeit what God wants to do because two are greater than one. God made us better together. He designed it. He wove it into the fabric of humanity that we need each other. We need each other. We are better together. Would you guys stand up as we close up in prayer? Christianity is the only major religion to have at, at its central event the humiliation of its God. Christianity is the only major religion to have at this central event the humiliation of its God. Why? Why is that? that? That's what's different. It's because no matter how many times you've failed in relationships, no matter how many times you've failed at life, no matter how many times you've failed with God, Jesus took all of our failure on the cross. He took it all. He took it all in that moment. That's why that central event is so good. And not only did he take our failure, but three days later he won the victory and he wiped it away. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? Lord, I just pray for those today, maybe you are struggling in the mess of a relationship. Lord, I pray We'd be a little bit more like you today as we walk out of here and understand that love's greater than fear, giving's greater than receiving, and failure's greater than forfeit. Lord, that we would walk in obedience in our relationships, even into the mess, that we are designed for one another, that we're designed to be in the same room together, to be with one another, for one another, fighting back to back, not face to face. Lord, I pray for healing to come in relationships. I pray for healing to come in marriages, healing to come in relationships with kids that are maybe wayward. Lord, we speak life into those relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.